Support for Sponsor Talk and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Welcome to the Sponsor Talk Podcast, where we interview some of the leading minds in the world of sponsorship marketing and discover the various ways and how brands interact with properties in sports, arts, film, music, you name it. I'm today's co-host, Jason Smith. You can follow me at SponsorshipJ on Twitter or on LinkedIn to keep engaged with our Sponsor Talk community. Hopefully today you learn something new about the industry and challenges you to keep thinking differently. Welcome to Sponsor Talk, everyone. I'd like to introduce Vicki Higgins, founder and CEO of the CXP Agency. Vicki, welcome to the show. Hey, Jason. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, I, first of all, as as we get started, usually I'll take take everyone through just your back your background, how you grew up, like where you're from. So why don't you tell tell everyone where you're from and and uh, what it was like growing up. Sure. I was raised in Indiana uh, until I was 35. I lived there and I now live in Southern California. But growing up in Indiana was great. Um, I was raised by a single mom and I have a younger sister, a couple years younger than me. Uh, I was into gymnastics and dance and swimming. And uh, I really had a great family, extended family, my mom's side of the family, the grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins. It was a lot of fun. And then I went to college at Indiana State University. Um, I was the first in my family to go to college and graduate from college. Um, Part of the younger part of my life, uh, my biological father was bipolar and had some big challenges. So he left when I was fairly young and uh, that left my mom to kind of figure out how to raise two girls. So she did a great job and uh, she's still my best friend and idol for doing that. Uh, And, and, and so, you know, trying to find a way to get me to college was really interesting. So I recognized that that was going to also be a responsibility that I was going to have to handle. So I started working when I was 14 and I worked two jobs and worked two jobs most, most of the way through a full load of, of classes too. So, um, I just knew that that would be a way that we could get into a little better situation as if I got my college degree. So that was, that's awesome. I actually went, I went to Indiana state and that is where Larry Bird went to school, which that'll come into play here in a second. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Larry, Larry, uh, Larry Bird, the legend, Larry the legend. Yeah. The legend. Absolutely. And, and you did go to Indiana state and, and you studied sports marketing. What made you focus on that? And I didn't know Indiana state had a, had a program, you know, in the night, in the nineties for sports, sports, uh, sports marketing, sports but, studies. Mm-hmm. yeah, sports studies. So talk a little bit about how you d- decided to, to go that route. Great question. So I applied to a few different colleges and I was an okay student. I wasn't a great student, um, but I applied to a few different colleges 
I was a little bit shy when I was young. So I was a little intimidated by the big schools like IU and Purdue. You're not shy anymore, Vicki. I know I've kind of grown (laughs) out of that. Um, But at that time I was a little bit shy and the big schools were just very intimidating to me. I went to Indiana State really because um, as we looked at the financials, they were the ones that were the most easy to work with in my situation where, you know, we were definitely going to have to have financial aid and um, come up with some kind of strategy. So I was able to get a couple of grants and a little, you know, tiny scholarship uh, that helped along the way. So that was really what made my decision. Um, I was originally going to study nursing and then pretty quickly I realized that I didn't like blood. So I figured I needed to pick a new topic. Yeah, that's definitely not the right. uh, right (laughs) Definitely not the right industry. I like to help people, but don't like blood. So I chose to, I was very active and um, I chose sports studies because that was more like physical training, physical fitness and athletic training. Okay. And I thought, you know, I really loved all of that. And I thought I would maybe like to be a trainer, like a, a trainer for a sports team or something like that. Um, so I started down the pathway of athletic training and sports studies. They actually have Indiana state university has a very good um, sports studies program, even it started way back, way before me, but they were very well known for their nursing, their teaching and their sports studies program. There were a lot of people that, um, went to Indiana state that are in the sports industry today. And, and it's just a really, a really great program. So, so um, has it kind of expanded to the business side of, of sports as well too, not just yeah. athletic training and that, but the health. Yeah, they have a whole sports marketing and business side awesome. of it. I actually had a minor in business. So um, uh, yeah, even at that time, they had a pretty good plan for sports marketing. But as I started this, the sports studies program, it was sports studies. And I thought I would be an athletic trainer. Um, my sophomore year, I went and met with the Indiana Pacers and they were like, oh, no, girls are not allowed in the locker room. You're not going to be able to be a trainer. No, no, no. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, well, sports marketing, you know. And so they said, but we like you. We, we would like to have you, you know, try out for our internship and uh, non-paid internship uh, that is sales. And that freaked me out. But I thought, OK, well, if I want to have this amazing, you know, sports team on my resume, I need to try to do this. Yeah. And so So. how did, and so how did you, before you get into that, how did you end up with a conversation with the Indiana Pacers? Cause you ended up working for the Pacers for, for 10 years, but this, this, this is the beginning stages. How did you get your foot in the door to even have a conversation? Yeah. Um, one of the assistant athletic trainers at the Indiana Pacers had graduated from Indiana state. And so again, it had a great sports program. Um, He had graduated from Indiana State. And so I was researching alumni and where they worked. And uh, so I was very resourceful as a youngster. And and so I called, I was like, hey, you went to Indiana State and you are an assistant trainer for the Indiana Pacers. I think that's amazing. I would love to be a trainer for the Pacers and I would love to learn more about it. Can I come and just learn about it. Can I just do an informational interview? And so I, he was super cool. I went and met with them and he introduced me to the head trainer and to David Craig and, and, uh, his name was Kevin. And it was just a really, I really loved learning all of that, but, you know, I really utilized our 
handwritten, printed, you know. Yeah, we're talking, we're talking, <laughs> we're talking early, we're talking early. We're talking like right? 1990. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, uh, I graduated in 91 from college. Yeah. So yeah, this was pre all digital things. So I had like heavy lifting of research. It was like pre-internet. It was pre-internet. Yeah, definitely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I was at the library researching yeah. things. So, um, so when I went and they toured me around and showed me, you know, how everything worked, which was so fascinating and I loved it. They also introduced me to the general manager and um, the president and the head of sales. And so I was able to spend about six hours at the Pacers and it was just all as an, I wanted to learn. It was just informational. And they were also eager to help me learn. You know, it was great. They were uh, very wonderful people. Um, Donnie Walsh was the president at that time. He is legendary in uh, the sports industry. And he was one of the reasons that I stayed at the Indiana Pacers for such a long time. Uh, Greg Jamison was at that time the general manager, and he was a wonderful person. And he taught me all about how it works, how sports works, how the business of sports works. And so he was really uh, integral in getting, you know, helping me get, get a position there. So he took me and introduced me to the head of sales. At that time, it was Mark, Mark Andrews Wartinsky. And um, he said, well, we have a, you know, a internship and I'm still in touch with all these people, you know, here 20 some years later yeah. or more, yeah. uh, it's still in touch with all those people and they're great, great people. And uh, it really, they were sort of the backbone of how I started to love the sports industry. Um, there was another person that was really two people on the sales team that was really important to me. One, Mike Hen. Mike became my boss very quickly. And uh, he is still a very good friend of mine and uh, headed up sales for the Indiana Pacers for many, many years. And uh, then Alice Laskowski. So she was one of the, she was the only woman on the sales team. And her husband had played basketball for uh, IU and I think the Bulls. And, uh, and she became a great friend of mine. And she was very helpful in teaching me as a woman in this industry you know, it's important to um, always be professional and always stand your ground. And if you have an idea, speak up about it. And, you know, even if you're not listened to, it's important to just keep pushing and not get discouraged and yeah. you have to have really tough skin. And um, she taught me a great lesson about sales. And it's something that I use all, all my, I've used all my life. And it's just sales isn't selling somebody something that they don't want sales is really educating so just think of yourself as a teacher they don't know what you have to offer and if you have something that you truly believe in your heart that you think could help them um tell them about it and and tell them in a way that they can hear it how can it benefit them you know could it yeah. be something they could do to help their employees uh have you know more camaraderie is it something they could use to uh, entertain clients and maybe grow their business? Is it something they could use to showcase their business or their services? Um, you know, so she just really was very thoughtful in that. And that has stuck with me all of my life. And I think it's one of the foundational pieces um, when people ask what I do. Yes, of course, you know, I have a sponsorship agency and we do sales. Um, but the crux yeah. of what we do is really educate people. Yeah, I love, I love that. Um you know, sales, you're not trying to sell something people don't want. You have to educate them because maybe they don't even realize they actually need it. When you educate them, then they're like, oh yeah, I'll buy that. That's great. 
Yeah. Uh, and I if they that. see how it mindset. can benefit them. Yeah. yeah. If they see how it can benefit them. So one of the most important pieces that Alice taught me way back when was listening, you know, asking them what they're all about, listening to what they need, and really then just hearing them. And wow, if it isn't a fit, it isn't a fit. You know, not everybody's yeah. going to say yes. Um, but if it's a fit and you really see how what you have to offer, um, in my case, I was selling season tickets uh, to an Indiana Pacers game at that time that wasn't doing too well. Um, so I had to come up with really creative ways that what I was selling could help them. But it was it was great. And, you know, I was talking with all kinds of different industries and uh, different businesses. And I got to get really creative on how could it benefit them if they had season tickets or if they had a package or a suite or a sponsorship or something like that. So um, yeah, it was really, really fun and really an exciting time because for anybody that knows about basketball, um, Reggie Miller is a pretty prominent name and a legendary name in the industry. I was going to say, do you have any great there. Reggie Miller? Any great Reggie Miller stories? Uh, Reggie was such a wonderful person. He gave so much to the Indianapolis community. He was such a team player. And even though there are so many stories about like the uh, just many different rivalries, he just had a passion for the game and um, just did so many wonderful things in our communities. So yeah, I mean, oh my gosh, it was before the days of such security that we have now and oh, yeah. these celebrities that are athletes. So I had my little uh, Ford Escort. Um, one of my jobs was to help sell tickets. Obviously, you know, group tickets, season tickets. I was like 23, 24. And uh, I had, I had, uh, certain communities that we would create community nights for so i would pick up reggie and say hey let's go you know sell some tickets <laughs> and awesome. we would set up a night that we would um we would set it up in advance so it was on his schedule or on you know one of the other team members schedule and we would set it up where we would have a big you know rally at the gymnasium at the the community, you know, school, we would drive an hour away and go to Brownsburg community and, uh, or, or Fort Wayne or, you know, something like that. And so we would set it up where their, their, their famous singer was going to sing the national anthem, their uh, cheerleaders were going to perform, their teams were going to get to play a game on the court before the, the game actually was happening that evening. Um, their whole community could come out, their band would play on the floor, you know, That's it became cool. this whole big community experience. And so when we were promoting that and selling tickets, we would grab one of the, one of our athletes and take them up there to do an autograph signing. So uh, for many, many community nights, I had Dale Davis and uh, Detlef Shrimp and yeah. Reggie Miller in my little yeah. Ford Escort riding up to Fort Wayne, Indiana to <laughs> sign some autographs. So very different than the world we live in today. And they were all just fun and nice and real, you know, real people and had just real stuff going on in their lives with their families and their kids and school and homework and whatever, you know, like they, they just had all kinds of stuff going on. And um, I really had a lot of respect for their their diligence of practice and um, their 
you know, sometimes very demanding schedules and uh, and still having such a positive attitude to go and try and help us, you know, yeah. some autographs. So they were really great. And they did so many wonderful things for the communities, coats for kids and all kinds of charitable organizations um, that they supported. And some created their own charities and many of them lived right in Indianapolis. And so they were out and about with, you know, it, when we had, you know, fun nights where we were winning games, um, everybody would just go out, the team and the staff, and we'd all go have drinks, you know, it was just fun. So yeah, way should... back in, in the day, you you don't see that anymore, but way back in the day, like it was just really, really fun. And yeah. we had a wonderful group of people that were uh, involved in the team. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you, you mentioned maybe, maybe it wasn't the, the, the time that they were winning the most, but I, I, I when I think of the nineties, I think of Reggie Miller, the Indiana Pacers versus the Knicks or the Bolt, like just those, the, the they, piston, they, the they, Pistons were, yeah. were fighting. They were fighting each Boston other. Celtics. On, oh, the Celtics. Like it was just. The, Bulls. the rivalries yeah. were awesome. Oh, the I rivalries were so good. And, and the team did really well, like at the big early, late eighties, early nineties, I started in 91 as an intern, um, but late eighties, early nineties the team was just struggling, but that was right when Reggie was coming onto the team. And, and they, they were started. good through the nineties. And I then think. the rest of the time, like the nineties, I believe he should have won a championship ring, but um, that's my own personal opinion. 2000, but, right? Didn't they make it against the Lakers? Yeah. Against the Lakers, but lost. Yeah. yeah. We're really close. I went to that game to, or some of those games. It was so fun, but yeah, I think, you know, all of those games were fun. We went to New York and, um, the Pacers as an organization is owned by the Simons and they were fantastic owners and really helped the staff, you know, for the playoff games and things like that. We were able to go and um, selected, you know, games. Of course, we all got to kind of pick and pick and choose and, and different people got to go to different ones. But um, it was really we they really were wonderful to the staff. It was great. Yeah, great organization awesome. to work for. So after your time with the Pacers, you. Is that when you moved out to Southern California? Um, no, not exactly. I was with the Pacers for 10 years. We okay. also went through a new build of a building. Mm -hmm. So we had been in Market Square Arena and then moved into, at that time, Conseco Fieldhouse. It was a okay. brand new build of a, yeah. of a building, which was amazing to be a part of. A new build and moving in and trying to run all your games in one facility and still try and get things going and, and happening in the other facility. Um, and then transitioning everybody over. Oh, that was a joy. Um, but yeah, it was pretty cool. So it was great to be a part of that. Um, during that time, I, I worked a lot, you know, and um, I had been married when I was really young and um, I got divorced um, sort of towards the end of the 90s. And so I went back and got my MBA and I decided, you know, maybe there's more to life than working every single holiday and every evening and every weekend. And, oh, yeah. And uh, so I went to the client side. So I started working for American Transair, um, which was a really popular airline in the Midwest. And even out here, they did um, flights out to Hawaii. It was a vacation airline, so it was awesome. Yeah. Very fun. And, a lot of benefits. Uh, yeah, a lot of benefits, a lot of perks, a lot of, lot of vacations. <laughs> um, so I was the head of sponsorship for ATA Airlines, and I had 38 markets, and we were just starting to grow into a business airline as well as the vacation side of it. And I started in April of 2001, and 
um, you know, worked with teams in the NBA, the NFL, major baseball. I set up the sponsorships. I helped coordinate the charters for teams. And, you know, it was a really great experience for a few months. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Being and able then, to work in, working in, in that many markets too. What was that like to try and manage all that? Like 30 plus markets? Well, thankfully I had a great team and, you know, we had sort of our top 10 markets and then we had the rest of the markets. There were 38 okay. markets total that were in yep. my, in my portfolio. Um, and, you know, I oversaw all of the sponsorships. So I was able to learn a lot more about um, how to determine what it is that I wanted in a sponsorship yeah, and also how to measure it. And um, I did a lot of training with, at that time, there was a pretty popular company called IEG. So I did a lot of their conferences and a lot of training and even, you know, the NBA and most of the leagues had had us go through a lot of that training. So we were properly evaluating our deals. But um, as a client, you know, I got to find ways to make a choice that was really right for my company and right for the city um, that we were, that we were marketing our airline in. Um, but, you know, I was, I, I learned a lot. I use a lot of that knowledge. Now I was with them for, for four years, but unfortunately um, I started in April, 2001. And then that September was nine 11. And so yeah. uh, the airline industry and the whole world, um, obviously that tragedy impacted everyone. And, you know, being with an airline at that time, um, you know, I stayed and, and I was fortunate and, and blessed enough to stay. And I also went to our executive vice president and said, listen, I've, you know, I've had 10 years in the NBA with the Pacers. I've gotten my MBA and I have the book smarts in these things. Um, but, you know, I realized the world is changing. So I'm here. I'm a team player. Wherever you need me to pick up the slack, I'm happy to take on different roles. It was a really interesting time to see people um, really bring out the best in helping others um, to work for an airline during that time and to see, you know, the flight attendants that were taking care of kids that were traveling yeah. and to see people uh, jumping in cars and sharing rides to get to their families. Yeah. And, you know, it was just really, really interesting and really um, eye-opening to be a how, part of that. How did, how did that moment change your life? Well, I recognized really quickly that when there is something um, that tragic that's happening, that, you know, there isn't a future guaranteed to any of us. Yeah. And so it really caused me to sort of lean into life and be really bold about going after whatever I felt like I wanted to go after. You know, I felt like you only get one life and nobody knows how long it is. So, you know, we get to realize that life is now, yeah. you know, it isn't, yeah. oh gosh, when I get this thing or when I do that thing or in the future, when I have this or when I have that, it's now. And yeah. so if we aren't living it now, then we're missing something. So yeah. I really made um, a lot of choices. And, you know, I also recognize that in the face of tragedy and challenge and um, difficult moments, I have a tendency to lean in, you know, like right away, I went to our executive vice president was like, listen, I know things are changing. How can I help? And so instead of sitting and being glued to the TV, I started coming up with ideas. What can we do? Hey, we have empty planes. Can we, I think our, our whole team was like, how can we help? How can we, you know, do things? And within 24 hours, we were um, 
one of the first airlines that was transporting first responders. I was calling our um, battalion chiefs in our fire departments in all of our cities, um, at least our larger cities, to see if they could provide a uh, team and resources to go to Ground Zero. We were working with FEMA to get clearance and if they needed that help to get people there to help with the rescue efforts and so you know within within 10 to 24 hours we had action plans in place and we were already moving um moving crews to ground zero to start helping with uh with recovery efforts and even in the wake of um you know the months that followed we were coming up with ideas that we could use to really honor our first responders and give them like great deals to travel and see their families we were communicating with all of our um, first responders in all of our markets to get information out to their uh, employees that if they needed to be somewhere and they didn't have the funds to fly we would travel them um, we also did promotions as things started coming back um, we created some promotions with our teams as the team started playing and people started coming back into stadiums, um, we created opportunities with our teams that um, we were able to do, you know, how you go to like a baseball game and it's like section 101, row R, seats 105 and 106, you just win a flight. Well, we did like seat section 101, 200 people win a flight, you oh, know, because yeah, we had yeah. empty planes. And so we were like, hey, might as well get people going to see people that they love. Yeah. And so we were creating like really big promotions. I remember we did one in San Francisco and uh, these this one kid was just like, what? And he was high knees and running up and down the aisle. And just, he was so excited. And we we're like, why are, what's going on? He's like, I haven't seen my family in five years. And I, so I'm, awesome. I'm a student and I don't have any money. And you know, yeah, like, so, awesome. so yeah, he was like breaking down crying and so <laughs> excited, but you know, to be able to get people to where they really needed to be and where their hearts were, that was something that really was amazing to be a part of and, and to be on the team to help create things like that. So well, I, I found about myself that I just lean in and find ways that we can help people. I love your approach to that because no matter what your company goes through, your organization that you work for, whether it's a tragedy that happens in a nation, um, whether it be that your company specifically is struggling or whatever challenges may might be coming with, with the company. I think a lot of times, I think the first human nature is to go, okay, what's going to happen to me, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's a natural human, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, reaction to that way. Yeah. Like, what am I, what, what am I going to do? But I love that approach of like leaning towards, like going towards or like going to your CEO or your direct report and saying, Hey, I, I realize there's this issue, this challenge, like, how can I be a solution mm -hmm. to make things better? And I think for those listening, I think that's a great thing to, to think about if you're looking at your organization and there's challenges, I think most managers or executive management want somebody that's going to be asking the question, how can I lean into something and make it better? Right. Absolutely. Um, rather than being reactive to what happens as well too. So I love yeah. that. Thanks Vicki. Appreciate that. And careful, careful what you wish for, because 
uh, then I got handed like seven departments. Yeah, there you go. So like, okay. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, yeah. here we yeah. go. So I with learned no on extra, the fly. With no extra great. pay. With no extra <laughs> pay. With the cut, of course. Yeah. 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 It was that time in the world. You just did it and worked Yeah, you just kind of did it. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. And and so after, then after that is when I moved to LA. When you moved I to California. Some deals. I, I did some deals with the LA Dodgers and um, I worked pretty closely with LA Tourism. I had a great relationship with LA Tourism. I recognized at, after the events of 9-11 and working for an airline, we lost a lot of our staff. You know, we, we couldn't keep a full staff. So most of my team was cut and um, I had just a really small team and still had a lot to figure out and to determine what we were going to keep and how we were going to do it. One of the other things that I will bring up that um, I did during kind of that next year is I recognized all of the big airlines pulled out of their deals, like with the Cubs or um, with the Giants or the Jets or things like that. American pulled out and United pulled out. And obviously everybody was like, cutting their losses, you know, like, Hey, obviously, you know, everything's changed in the world. We're going to get out of our deal or our sponsorship. So I called them all and I'm like, Hey, I want that deal. You still have to fly your team. We still have opportunities that we can help people and we can, you know, showcase what we're doing um, to your community and, you know, our planes are flying. And so instead of, since they've pulled out, you've got to figure something out and I want it, but I want it for a whole lot less. So I got a lot of really big NBA, NFL, NBA, NFL, and major league baseball teams that probably our little airline would have never had. (laughs) Um, But because, you know, we again, leaned in and just said, oh, I see what the market's doing. I see them cutting, you know, they just ended their sponsorship with, you know, the Cubs, or they just ended their sponsorship with the Jets or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I'm calling right now. Like, hey, I see that this just happened. I'm so sorry, but hey, we're an airline, we're a small airline, but we've got a lot of planes and we're flying a lot of places and, you know, we can work out something. So were those pretty um, short-term deals that they were willing to do with you or how many of them were a lot of them okay with that? We did a few year deals, you know, I mean, like, two and three and four year deals. Um, and because we just didn't know what the future was going to hold. So we started a couple of them were just like the end of a season, like, Hey, help us get through this season. Cause we still, we have games to play and they were our charter and yeah. our sponsor, you know? So we really tried to try, try to lean in and help. But by doing that, I was able to work out a deal with the LA Dodgers and we did some great stuff with the Dodgers. It was so fun. And, um, people were back and going to games games and, you know, life was resuming again. And I recognized that the convention and visitors bureaus in most of my bigger markets were really helpful. They knew all the sports teams. They knew what the people did in that community. They were pretty dialed in with the traveling community and the travel and tourism industry. And so I just set up deals and had them be kind of like my man on the street uh, for that market and help, help us. But a lot of them were not used to creating like sponsorships with anybody um, that wasn't really done in the tourism industry. So I said, let me write a sponsorship for you because I have 38 markets. And if you call me every month, I am going to poke my eyes out um, because I have, two, I have 38 markets and I've got 15 of you in every market. So yeah, yeah. that's going to cause my schedule to be nuts. I said, so if you can follow this plan. Here's what you typically do every year anyway. So here's what I will do for you. If we can just come up with an agreement and then you 
just run with this and give me a recap report. So that was really where I started dipping my toe into the tourism industry. Um, the LA tourism really liked that. The president of LA tourism used to be with uh, an airline as well. So we spoke the same language and he got it. And so he's like, wow, we'd love to hire you. So they hired me. I got to kind of write my own job and um, I became the head of business development which was creating new kinds of sponsorships for LA tourism. So that brought me out to LA from Indiana. And you, you worked for in LA, but then also Newport beach as well. Yeah. I was with LA tourism for about five years. And, um, that was even during the crazy recession. And so we got very creative again, I just have a tendency to lean into things. So during the downfall in the recession, we decided to try and help, at first, it was going to be retailers like small shops and, and yeah. retail. And then when I started talking to a potential sponsor, American Express, they needed more market share in the restaurant industry. So we decided that might be a really good opportunity. So we built Dine LA. Um, and then I did the deal for Dine LA Restaurant Week, yeah. which was a quarter of a million dollar deal. It was one of the first and only things that had been done like that in the tourism industry ever. So I received the award of excellence from the mayor of Los Angeles and um, a number of other accolades. And we created this huge dining program that brought people in from all around. American Express was an amazing partner. And they also used that template of what we created um, as a baseline for how to do restaurant weeks around the country. It was sort of the launch of the restaurant week world. Um, so it was amazing to be a part of that and work with the incredible chefs and the wonderful team that helped put that all together. Um, but I did the sponsorship of that to help get it all paid for. So that was a really, really fun thing to work on. And by then I had recruiters reaching out to me saying, wow, we want you here. We want you there. So um, I was uh, lured to Newport Beach and helped reinvent the marketing, branding, what, how we could do sponsorships for Newport Beach, created some really great sponsorships and partnerships with Harrods of London. And um, I oversaw offices in London, Sydney, Beijing, and Shanghai. And then also managed the, I was their executive vice president and chief marketing officer and managed the office in Newport Beach as well. And I'm going to pause right there because during, during around this time, you, you wrote some books. Um, after that. So was I was with, that? yeah, I was with um, Newport Beach until about okay. 2014. And okay. in 2014, I wrote a, a book called, it was a chapter in a book really uh, called No Mistakes, How You Can Turn Adversity into Abundance. And it was when the first time I really opened up about having a bipolar father and sort of the craziness okay. that was in my early part of life. And just turning that adversity into resourcefulness yeah. and leaning in, you know, and, and finding a way. And so I think that really created who I am. And so my chapter was called resetting your life or how to reset your life. And so I had seven steps on resetting your life. And um, how did you I get had, involved? How did you get involved with that? Like, how did you, you know, it just kind of landed in my lap. My sister was a writer and my sister was writing a book and um, asked for some help on how to market it. And even though I was a decent marketer, um, I knew I didn't know everything. And so I went to a couple of book marketing conferences and met some people and uh, they really liked, you know, what her book was about. And I was just truly trying to help her. And then there was a contest and they're like, oh, you should sign up for this, you know, book contest. You can win a, you know, deal to be in a book or something like that. And I'm, 
signing up for it, thinking it's her book, her book, her book. And then suddenly somebody reached out to me from the organization and said, no, 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 this has to be your own personal story. And I'm like, wow, I don't want to do that. So uh, I was like, I want this to be all about her stuff. And so it was the funniest thing because I'm like, well, I'm half in here anyway. I might as well just finish this up. So I really wrote everything. I didn't tell anybody that I did it. I was still doing a little bit of uh, work. I was just getting ready to, well, I was contemplating what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, um, and suddenly like my little video that was very short about this, you know, adversity in my life and how I turned that into abundance and my few little steps um, did pretty well. There were like 500 people in the contest and mine kept, even though I was not promoting it and I didn't tell a soul that I did it. Um, my little video kept, you've made it to the next round and you've made it to the next round. I'm like, oh my gosh. And uh, so then finally I was in like the top 10 and I had to fly to, I had to, I got to fly to uh, Yosemite and talk about the story. There was a publisher there that uh, really liked what I had to talk about. And what was really interesting is the night before the convention, um, which was on a weekend, um, it was, I got up there on a Friday, the convention was starting on like a Saturday and evidently there had been a snowstorm somewhere. So the keynote speaker couldn't make it in. So the organizer at the, of the event contacted me at 11 o'clock at night and said, Hey, can you do the keynote opening speech tomorrow? I've seen you speak. I know, you know, that you can do this. And I'm like, I have nothing. I have a 10 minute talk prepared. Are you kidding me? And so I said yes and did it. And then I said, yes, of course, I'm happy to do that. Thank you for the honor hung up and was like, Oh my God, what do I want? What am I talking about? So I was up all night. Yeah. Your whole night, your out. whole night was, you didn't even sleep. My whole night was blown, um, yeah. but it was great. So thankfully, you know, I had a little bit of a plan. Um, I'd seen enough keynote speeches that I thought, well, you know, I know a little bit about the formula. Let me try and do what I can. And so I contacted the organizer. I'm like, what do you want me to prep them for so that they're having a good weekend you know they're having a good experience and so i worked that into what i was going to talk about and then i just talked about having you know resilience and being able to hit the reset button and just create the life you want so uh it was really fun it was laughs and tears and and uh a publisher liked it and said i have a book coming out called no mistakes um, I like reset your life. Would you, would you write a story, a chapter in the book? So it just kind of happened. And then after that all happens, he said, we've got Barnes and Noble that wants to do a front table promotion. And could you go tour around and talk to some Barnes and Nobles? And I'm like, you know, this is kind of a land in your lap, once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm going to do it. So I left my big high powered executive vice president and chief marketing officer job and traveled around a little bit and talked about how you, there are really no mistakes. Everything happens for a reason. And if you can get past that challenge of whatever is holding you back, um, then you see what the reason is and you're able to really use that to fuel where you want to go. In life. How long so, did you do that? How long did I you? Did, well, I did a little bit of that over probably two or three years. And in the okay. meantime, I also had the great fortune of connecting with the president of that publishing company he learned about my background and he was uh, uh, helping some authors get their books off the ground. And so he asked me if I would help uh, coordinate some of their events. And so I'm like, yeah, that'd be so fun. So 
I got to be the event coordinator for Dr. Joe Dispenza for like five years. And um, I was able to be, Dr. Joe Dispenza is a very well-known neuroscientist and he's written many best-selling books, um, particularly around mindsets and the power of your mind. One of my favorite books is uh, Becoming Supernatural. And then another one of my favorite books is Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And I love personal development. So I was thrilled to have the opportunity to coordinate for him. And then I also coordinated for many other personal development authors. Um, Don Miguel Ruiz, he wrote the book, The Four Agreements. He has many other best-selling books as well. And I think The Four Agreements has charted the uh, history-making book as, as the longest bestseller. Um, but I did that and uh, had the opportunity to coordinate events and do some personal development events as well as uh, do some talks of my own here and there to help support the No Mistakes book, which was really fun. And then I was like, all right, I need to get a job and figure out what I'm doing next. <laughs> and it was about at that time that someone reached out to me and said, hey, this Palm Springs opportunity, um, they wanna build like a 10 year plan. Can you make it come to life? So I had a really great opportunity with Scott White out in Greater Palm Springs. He's awesome and runs a really great program on team and tourism. I'm very future thinking and very visionary. So I had the opportunity to come in and be a vice president in his company and build um, a 10-year plan for destination development. And I was kind of building it with the idea of sponsorships in mind. And um, then I had some other opportunities that landed in my lap. And I'm like, you know, I just need to start a business. This is me bouncing around and working for all these people is yeah it seemed uh, like it seems like it's always time. sponsorships but it's yeah. it's been uh, I needed to just start my own thing yeah it, it seems like everything from the pacers to the airlines to the visitor bureaus to even your time where you wrote a book and you were speaking and doing all that kind of led to your your desire to say hey I need to start start my own business right and and doing this and this is when you started your current company, which is, you know, Connection CXP. Partnerships or CXP, yeah. right? Um, agency. So um, let's kind of transition to that. Let's sure. let's talk about let's talk about your your business. Um, what what is your focus? What does your agency do from a focus standpoint? From a sales consultancy, you know, valuation. What are the things that you are best at or focus on the most? Yeah, we're a full We're a full service sponsorship agency. Um, I was really fortunate because when I started Connection Partnerships originally, and then we uh, we transitioned to CXP, um, we I had people calling me saying, "Hey, can you help me with this? Hey, can you help me with this sponsorship? Hey, can you help me with this?" And I'm like, "Wow, there's a need here that I can fulfill." And so um, one organization wanted to hire me, and I said, "Wait, let me just set up a business." And let me have you hire my business to do this. Um, it'll save you from having to pay my benefits and my big salary. So yeah, yeah. let's just make this work. Um, so thankfully, I had the foresight to think about like, I've been in the industry for 20 years. You know, I understand the industry really well and what the needs are. And I also understand that, you know, there is time involved in, creating great partnerships. And I'm really more about developing great partnerships that are authentic, that are connected to the audience and bringing value to the audience. Um, and so I 
I started with a couple of clients and really sat down and worked on an asset inventory, um, evaluation, what would the packages be? Um, how are we going to take this to market? What's our go-to-market strategy? And then let's get to selling. Who are the right, who are the right companies that would be a fit for this? And what are all the different ways that we could bring in partners? And I'm not a big fan of the logo soup and lots of, you know, lots of yeah. things happening everywhere. I yeah. really like a clean look, but I like them to be meaningful and have a presence or a place. So I started working on uh, an arena in Ontario, California, and they needed a new naming rights sponsor, but they also needed all of the other sponsors. Everyone started and it was the 10 year anniversary and everyone was expiring. So we got. That's pretty amazing that all the sponsorships were ending on the same year. That's yeah. pretty rare. Actually. Yeah, please don't do that in the future. Please don't um, do that. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> Please have some staggering yeah. opportunities. Yeah. Um, but you know, we were able to go in and renegotiate the ones that we felt like were valuable to keep and were a good fit. We were able to kind of move around some of the ones that weren't exactly the right fit, and we were able to bring in new partners. Um, so I was really, really um fortunate to have, you know, the opportunity to name uh, Toyota Arena. So we announced the naming deal in yeah. July of 2019. Uh, so we didn't even get a full year in before the pandemic, but uh, we announced the naming rights deal in July of 2019. We also brought in Coca-Cola as the official beverage. I worked with a handful of other sponsors to just get them on board and multi-year deals. And um, most of them have been, were 10-year deals or five-year deals. And uh, really, really had a great, a great kickstart to the company. Yeah, that's awesome. And how did you get involved with Toyota? How did you, what was that like reaching out to Toyota and getting them involved on the naming rights for that, for that arena? Well, you know, one of the first things that I believe is fish where the fish are, right? So the current sponsors of the building are the first place you should always go to sure. to see if they have an interest in being a higher level partner. So um, Toyota was already an official vehicle of that arena. It was called Citizens Business Bank Arena before. And um, so I had gone to Toyota and it wasn't the right time. And they said no a couple of times. And so, you know, being the tried and true salesperson that I am, I don't <laughs> give up educate. after one or two times. So to go we, educate needed, we needed to do some more educating. Um, <laughs> so I did have two or three other partners that were at the table. I didn't feel like they were the right fit for that particular market. And I really felt like Toyota was the right fit. So I had to do a little bit of my own um, research and a little more digging and a little more educating. Um, but finally we were able to like the third time is the charm. The third time I went back to them with some new data and some new information and just really um, had a heartfelt conversation. I didn't even have like a big presentation. I just had a really heartfelt conversation with their agency and just like, gosh, this is really why I think this could be a great fit for this market and, um, and for Toyota and, you know, how we can do, you know, great things together. Um, so it was really just having, you know, the opportunity to listen to them over a few months of what their needs were and come back with some different ideas that could better serve their needs. And so, yeah, we were able to do that. And um, there were three women that put together that naming rights deal, which I'm super proud of. And uh, both on their side and on my side. So yeah, that's great. Uh, we were really excited about that. And 
uh, yeah, made the announcement in 2019. And then, you know, we were running fast and furious um, with venue opportunities and large scale event opportunities uh, right at the end of 2019, just before the pandemic. So we were, we were kind of on a certain trajectory uh, before that happened. And um, I think during the pandemic, I've had the opportunity to sort of slow down and reevaluate how we move forward. And that's really enabled us to, you know, pivot a little bit and create some new opportunities for the agency and uh, some new lanes of business as we grow now in a, in a different world. Yeah. What are some unique partnerships that you've put together as part of your agency there with brands? Well, one of the things that, one of the things that I recognized in the, in the middle of the pandemic is there is a lot of uh, misinformation out there or lack of awareness around how partnerships really work and how to get them. And so one of the things that I started doing during the pandemic, while all my clients were closed, is just teaching, you know, just teaching yeah. influencers and teaching other agencies and, um, you know, just teaching people that were in the sports industry that maybe were younger on how to really create high level long-term partnerships. So I created the CXP method. And then one of the things that we do is we have a lane for venues, of course, because that's you know, one of our core um, business, you know, opportunities, but mm -hmm. uh, it's one of the things that we do really well and I've grown up in it, so I know it, yeah. um, but we work with venues of all sizes. Um, we, our sweet spot is kind of mid-sized venues. So usually under 25,000 seats and usually over 8,000 seats. Um, so yeah, like theaters, uh, arenas, stadiums, you know, things like that. We love working with. So venues is an area for us. Um, large scale events is an area for us. Prior to the pandemic, we had been working with only events that were over 100,000 people. Um, now we're working with events that are over 50,000 people. I think there are some great opportunities on smaller events. And, um, and we also have a way that we can educate even smaller events. So yeah. if you wanna go do this here, we can educate you. And then, you know, the other thing is we've really recognized that there are a lot of people doing good in the world. So I don't think that like our method is that different from anybody else. It's just the way that we do it. The CXP method is really the way in which we approach sponsorships, which is um, meaningful sponsorships. So if you're helping black and brown communities, if you are empowering women, if you are doing something around sustainability, if you are, you know, uh, if you think your venue or your event should be doing that and you're not, you know, we can help you figure out how that could be layered into what you're creating. So we've been talking with influencers, we've been talking with podcasters, uh, we've been working with venues and events and um, even filmmakers, you know, because everybody wants to do things in a different way now that we're in a post-pandemic world. So we get the opportunity to create great partnerships and also do some good in our world as well. So that's, I think, what's changed since the pandemic is really the way that we go about business and how we're really trying to create meaning. It's not to say that we're going to go out and work on every nonprofit. We really don't work in that space, 
Um, we're still working on big venues. We're working yeah. on large scale events. But wow, what if all these big venues did Feeding America? What if they all did sustainability? Like that's how we start changing our world and mm -hmm. changing our communities. And we should be doing that. So we want to take that first step and lean into what is kind of a crisis in our world in a lot of different areas, diversity, equality, inclusion, um, sustainability for sure. Uh, so let's take responsibility for that and see if we can start integrating that into some of the partnerships we create. I love that. And what, what do you think is the most important like strategies for a sponsorship? You've been doing this a long time, like in order for a partnership to be successful and have that connection, as you just talked about, like, what do you feel like are the most important strategies for, for people to look at when they're putting together a sponsorship? Listen, there you go. One word. That's it. Listen. You have to listen. You have to listen to what the potential sponsor wants and you have to ask great questions and in order to listen and hear the right things. And I think when you listen, um, then you get to craft that sponsorship together. Perfect. And that's how you get to win-win, right? Absolutely. Listen to them and craft Absolutely. it. We, we never pitch on the first communication. We never pitch. Yeah. So even if I have a really huge opportunity and I've got a really great meeting with a, with a major brand, we don't pitch on that first meeting. Yeah. We always ask them, about seven or eight questions. And we always really try and get to the heart of what it is they want to accomplish, their audience, what's working for them, what are they changing? And we talk about their diversity, equality, inclusion, social responsibility initiatives. And then we really sit down and try to utilize what they've said and we listen. And then we utilize what they've said and we really craft a custom proposal for them that's going to hit the mark. Love that. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I've got, I've got just a couple of questions to, to ask you sure. that I, before we wrap up, what makes you get up in the morning and do what you do? Uh, we get to change the world. That's pretty exciting. Awesome. And what do you feel like the future holds for CXP? You know, I love the fact that there will be a bigger team um, in this coming year that we'll be out doing this CXP method with more venues, more events, more filmmakers, more influencers. And I think if we can start being an example of how to do sponsorships in this way, um, in this way in the world that we live in, then I think not only is the future for CXP really strong, but I think we have an opportunity to set a new benchmark for how sponsorships are done um, in leagues around the world and i want that to happen like that's a really big undertaking but i want teams and leagues and venues and events to be thinking oh we need to do something to help our community we need to do something to empower women we need to do something to support black and brown communities we need to do something um to, to help sustainability in our world like that should be a first thought when you're creating a sponsorship. And unfortunately, right now it isn't. So if we can lead the charge and start creating an example of great partnerships that are done with great acts of kindness in them, then yes, all day long. And it isn't, it's also a revenue generator because you're not only working with the revenue budget of the advertising and marketing team, but now you're working with the budget of other departments, corporate social responsibility, diversity, equality, and inclusion. If they're at the table, better sponsorships can be done and 
better things can happen in our world and we can create a better place for our future. So that's the future of CXP in my eyes. Thanks, Vicky. Again, thanks for coming on the podcast. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Jason. It's really been a pleasure. Thanks for letting me blab on about my history. I, I love, love my life. I love uh, I, that I'm blessed to get to do what I love every day and get to work with great people like you. I'm really honored to have the opportunity to talk with you. So thank you so much. No, thank you. Vicki Higgins, founder and CEO of the CXP Agency. Thanks, Vicki. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow us at Sponsor Talk on Twitter and at the Sponsorship Space on LinkedIn and join our community if you're interested in learning more. Thanks and have a great day.